It is Pet Chat today on 2NURFM with Dr. Kimberly Earle and Daniel Carrington. Daniel, you've got a guest for us you'd like yes. to introduce. Thank you, Mark. Look, we've got Cecilia Langton Bunker, who's a uh, Dalmatian breeder. CC Dalmatians is her kennel name. And uh, she's based in Victoria. Welcome to the show, Cecilia. Hello, Danny. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for fitting <laughs> us in you. to do this interview in your busy schedule looking after 18 <laughs> puppies. Puppies! <laughs> yes. They're now, adorable. But very, very busy and active. So they never stand still for two seconds. Now, yes. apparently that's um, an Australian record for a Dalmatian to have 18 puppies. Australian record for the biggest Dalmatian litter registered, um, a pedigree um, Dalmatian litter registered. Yes. And it meets the world record as well. So. And yes. it's created a lot of international significance across the world as we say. So now, it's very um, exciting. I, I actually, well, you know I breed Weimaranas and yeah. we have sometimes larger litters, uh, up to yep. 12, 13 I've had, and I know the amount of work that goes into that. <laughs> Can you tell us about looking after 18 puppies, especially when mummy's only got about 10 nipples? Yes, she has. She's only got 10 um, nipples or teeth. Um, so for the first four weeks, we fed them every four hours, either by bottle or syringe, um, every four hours. Night and, day, take, night and day, night and day. Night and day. One, and one feed for 18 puppies used to take three hours. So you'd start and, yeah, you'd virtually have an hour break and you'd be starting again. Um, yeah, so hence I got a lot of assistance from my colleague and great friend, Jade Martin, who's actually a midwife for humans herself, so she's been absolutely a superstar. Um, yeah, so we've had um, endless help as well to sort of just make sure they survived and really thrived. Uh, yeah, so it's just been an ongoing, um, you just have to have a love and a lot of passion um, yeah, and a huge commitment to sort of look after any size litter, um, but especially 18 beautiful little um, spotty dotty Dalmatians, yeah. Um, how old are they now? They're exactly, they'll be seven weeks old this Thursday, okay. so and absolutely thriving, so very exciting. So soon they'll be going home to their new homes, I yes, guess you've got homes for yes. all of them? All of them are going to new homes. We've got three going to South Australia at this stage and two to WA and the rest will stay in Victoria. Um, yeah, so I'll get to see some of them grow up and we have puppy parties at six months and we all catch up if we can if we're in the same state. And, yeah, really exciting to see the siblings sort of grow up and meet all the, um, yeah, and get all the puppy owners together on one day. Now, uh, talking about puppy owners, can you tell us a little bit about Dalmatians and what kind of a pet are they? So, first of all, what, um, for because this is not visual, we're just uh, talking and yeah. listening, what do Dalmatians look like? What size are they? What do they look like? Okay, well, the standard for a Dalmatian is anything from 22 inches for a female and 24 inches for um, a male. Um, it can vary slightly within that range, but that's the standard confirmation standard for showing. Um, your females... Um, and males are bred for one purpose, the Dalmatians are, and that is to run long distances and protect carriages from highwaymen or robbers, so they're actually bred guard dogs. They are very territorial, um, very intuitive, um, very conceptual, and overall got a sense of humour. They are very, very sensitive and very in tune to um, their human folk, hence they work really well as guard dogs. Um, Overall, they're a very classical, outgoing, lively um, dog that does need to be um, constantly sort of reminded of the boundaries. They can be very independent, but overall a very happy-go-lucky, loving breed with sustained energy that just loves humans and wants to be around people. They're not a dog you put in the back garden and forget about. They want to be part of the family. They are very family-orientated dogs, but they do need strict sort of rules and um, like all dogs. Uh, but you know, do need constant training and um, sort of to be 
constantly sort of entertained and, um, yeah, and just part of normal life and activities, yeah, to thrive as a dog. So what kind of families uh, would you say would uh, do well with a Dalmatian in um, their Ones that are quite active and want them to be part of the family, um, not to leave them in a back garden by themselves for endless hours. I mean, you can go to work, but they do need to be exercised regularly. Um, plus, they need to be taken out to socialise with the world. Um, they're very perceptive. And they're a dog that will be sort of a bit aloof about something they're not familiar with, so they do need to be desensitised to the world around them. So that someone who's got commitment, time, energy, and just a love for their dog. Like a person who's just willing to take the dog everywhere with them and, you know, being a part of the family and just be loved, yeah. Are they smart and intelligent? Do they do well with training? They do. Like, people think that Dalmatians aren't very smart or intuitive, but I've trained three um, do- um, Dalmatians to get Companion Dog Title, which is an official obedience title, um, yeah, with Dog Victoria. And um, they can, there have been dog Dalmatians known in Australia to get Utility Title, which is one of the highest titles, or OC, um, yeah, Obedience Champions. Like, yeah, they can thrive. If you put the commitment and time into them, they will excel. And the more time and effort you put into them, they're more likely to excel and you'll end up having a happy, more well-adjusted dog. Um, so yes, they definitely are quite, well, they are smart and intuitive and that's why they do need that constant training because they will outsmart you every single way possible. And, and, so, and yeah. s- say a family has decided they want to go with a Dalmatian, yes. um, how do they so- decide whether they want a male or a female? What's the differences between the sexes? Um, the males I generally find, and this is speaking from my own experience, there's more um, affectionate. The yep. Females are generally more aloof. You will find that females generally in a wolf pack, 80% of wolf packs are actually driven by females. So you'll generally find the female of any pack or dogs will actually be the pack leader. Um, yeah, they're a bit um, more aloof in that sense because they're um, generally more, more so to be, uh, I guess, more likely to be a guard dog because they're more in tune to the world around them. The boys always mummy's boys and the girls are daddy's girls. <laughs> the boys are slightly bigger, um, but overall, um, I find they're more intuitive um, to sort of their human companions and particularly females. The girls generally are a little more aloof, as I said, purely because they're more on guard yeah. um, sort of patrol and particularly if they have puppies as well, that's just, I think, innately in them um, to be more, um, I guess, well aware of their environment more so than the boys, yeah. That's great information. Yeah. Look, um, if someone wants some more information on Dalmatians, can you give us your website or where they can find yes, some more information? Yes, by all means. So if you go to www.ccdalmatians, so cc and then d-a-l-m-a-t-i-a-n-s dot com.au, it does reiterate everything I've said and also mentions about special diets for Dalmatians. Um, yeah, Dalmatians are inherently, they can't um, break down a certain protein called purines and it really does highlight that on my website as well. Um, and that's really important to know as well as a fact which is unique to Dalmatians. You've touched on an interesting subject with there. So what would yes. you feed Dalmatians? Purely um, a very clean, raw diet, mm-hmm. um, low in protein, and a particular protein called purine. Never red meat, um, and particularly like never sardines, um, also kangaroo. Anything of any red meat has a high protein um, or purine content. So a low purine diet and lots of vegetables, carrots, rice, a very clean raw diet and it's paramount that that must be undertaken for all Dalmatians. Um, there is the 
low uric acid Dalmatian, um, LUA, that um, inherently um, has eradicated that problem because mm. um, they bred it with a pointer back in the 1970s, is now um, qualified as a Dalmatian. So that's been brought into um, Australia recently, but purely it's very, very, very important that people, and that needs to be highlighted, that Dalmatians must have a low purine protein diet okay. and a very clean raw diet on um, purely white meat. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for all that info. We're running out of time, but that was great information. Well done. Congratulations on 18 beautiful Dalmatian puppies. Lots of spots around your place. Gee, 18. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I know, Kimberly, you were listening to that as well, thinking 18, that's got to put you off having any more kids for sure. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that's about 20 too many. Yeah. <laughs> 18. Ouch, ouch. Yeah. Uh, thank anyway, you very much. Yes, thank you for that, Cecilia, and it's a great information about Dalmatians there. Kimberly Earl, Doctor. It's, it's your turn to shine. Thank you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, good afternoon. Peter at Toronto, you've got a cat with some behavioural problems. Yes, mate. Yeah, let them know. I was talking to one of the vets here about our cat. We've got four cats here, but the um, we've got one cat that's about four, nearly five-year-old, mm -hmm. and its behaviour is getting really bad. It's very aggressive to the other cats, and now it's starting to become very aggressive towards humans. It's scratching us. Uh, we had a visitor here the other day, got nasty gash in the leg because of this right. female cat. They're all desexed. We don't know what the problem is. Okay. So she's not very old, but I mean, the first thing I'd always do is go and take her into your regular vet and have her checked out because cats will often become aggressive if they're uncomfortable, if there's something causing them pain or distress. And so the very first thing to do is to get her checked out. It might be that there's some back pain. It might be that she's, um, you know, got some, some nausea or something that you're not noticing. Um, it's always challenging in a multi-cat household because cat's behavior is not easily read by the average person. And even for myself, where I see cats on a regular basis, sometimes uh, it can be hard to interpret what their behavior is. Um, looking at, at the cat's you know what their behavior is like each other we talk about cat families and you uh you'll only identify a cat family they say that only the cats that are mutually grooming each other so they can be lying together but if they don't actually groom each other they don't consider themselves a cat family and so they might be tolerant of each other but they're not liking each other and if you've got many cats in the house it can cause some friction and it may be that this cat's becoming more and more anxious maybe somebody's you know, bullying it, things like that. And bullying in cat worlds doesn't necessarily look like bullying does in our world. So have a really good look at what... Um what the interactions of your cats are, making sure that we've got plenty of litter boxes, plenty of food resources, things like that. Um, but definitely have her checked out by your, your regular veterinarian and then have a chat. If, if she comes back clear and there's nothing major going on, then have a chat with them about some of the things that we can do to reduce anxiety. And sometimes that's medication, sometimes that's using some pheromone therapy, sometimes that's um, giving her her own safe space, those sorts of things. There, there are lots of things that can be done, but unfortunately cat behaviours are quite complex, so probably requires an expert to have a bit of a look at her as well. Okay, we'll try to get it down to the vet over the next few days then. Definitely worthwhile. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, thanks for that, Peter. Hopefully you got some great information. So what does um, bullying look like in the cat world, Kimberly? You said it's not like people world. Yeah, what are we looking well, up for there? Well, I mean, sometimes it's just that one cat is, um, you know, walking past the other cat when they're trying to get to the food dish. They're walking past and you think, oh, you're, that's cute. You're rubbing up against your friend. But actually that's, that's the, the cat in the front sort of saying, 
stay away, this is mine. And it doesn't necessarily need to look like fighting. But if we're already getting to a point where we're starting to see some cat fighting or that cat is becoming openly aggressive to people, that would indicate that the cat's got some mental instabilities happening and that might be because the environment around it is making it really anxious and nervous. So. It's a whole different world, isn't it? Yeah, cats really are. Even, I mean, I I still feel I'm a bit of a beginner with, with cat behaviour and, um, I mean, there's people who make their life on just, you know, treating cat behaviour problems because they are quite a different animal. Most people can read the, you know, the behaviour from a dog, the signals that a dog is giving, but cats are quite a different, but different kettle of fish. Mm, oh, <laughs> I, I always thought I was a cat person, but you've thrown, you've thrown me under a bus with that. Yeah. Never mind. Michael at Karua, you've got uh, some uh, interesting food dilemmas with your golden retriever. You're on with Kimberly now. Hi, Kimberly. It's Michael Wilkins here. How are you going? I'm good, Michael. What can we do with you and your golden retriever? Well, I've got Cooper. He's, he's getting close to 12 months old. Yep. And uh, he's a little bit... He's about 32, 33 kilos. Okay. He looks a little bit chubby. Yep. And when I take him for a walk, he's sort of out of breath. Okay. And I'm just wondering... I feed him a mixture of, like, dried food and, um, like, meat and veggies from the butcher. Yep. And I'm giving him about 500 grams a day. And I was just wondering, is that too much or is okay. it about... Uh, it's probably a bit much. So remembering that Cooper now is 12 months old, so he's pretty much done all his growing. He may do a little bit of filling out yet, but in terms of the height and, and the size of him, he's pretty much done the majority of his growth. And growing is a really high-energy exercise, but once they stop growing, they don't have the same energy requirements. So he's probably a little bit um, high. 32 kilos isn't, isn't bad for a golden retriever, depending on the size of them and the height of them. So my golden retriever is a pretty tall golden retriever. Um, she's pretty well at, at perfect body condition when she's sitting at about 31 kilos. Um, once she gets to 30, 33, she's starting to be a little bit chubby. Um, so the things that I would do is make sure you're feeding him ideally two meals a day and ideally the slightly bigger meal in the in the morning time because what, what, we, what we don't want to do is have him eating a big meal of an evening and then he just goes to bed and doesn't get an opportunity to burn any of those calories off. Um, I think the combination of food you're feeding is probably fine, making sure that we're just aware that dry biscuit food, although it's well-rounded and nutritionally balanced for him, it's also very energy-dense, doesn't have a lot of water to it. So it doesn't require a huge quantity of food to make up his calorie requirements. So if you were going to do something, I would say shave back a bit of his dry food a little bit. I'm I'm not that great with grams and foods because I measure my food out in cups. But again, my golden retriever, she's on one and a quarter cups of dry food twice a day. Um, that's pretty much all she gets. And I think if you, if you take a... Um, maybe a measure of how much of the dry food you're actually feeding. And I usually say, measure out what you're currently giving. If you're thinking he's a bit chubby, I would just sort of skim back about 15 to 20% of the dry food, um, and that will probably help lean him out a little bit. And again, he's a young golden retriever, so making sure he's getting lots of exercise. We do know that golden retrievers and Labrador retrievers, they, they really are, you know, one of the garbage guts dogs of the, they, they, they'll eat until they fall over dead in a lot of cases. So just because he looks at you hungry doesn't necessarily he means, doesn't necessarily mean he needs the calories. Um, and if he's giving you those big puppy dog eyes, you know, a really good sort of low calorie snack is a, is a raw carrot. And most golden retrievers think that raw carrots are the bee's knees. So, um, it seems a bit counterintuitive, but yeah, they'll, they'll eat that and it's very low calorie. I was just going to add. That, sorry? So, what, what was that snack? Snack, raw carrots. Just
just carrots, regular old carrots. Uh, my my uh, two okay. goldens before I moved out to Australia, I had a really beautiful veggie patch in my backyard in Canada, um, and I came home from work one day, and my two goldens had literally harvested <laughs> an entire row of carrots and eaten the entire thing, all on their own. So, um, yeah, just yeah. just carrots. They're cheap, and yeah. And they've become a popular uh, treat in terms of like a sweet potato dried treat or yeah, a carrot yeah. treat like that. Yeah. yeah. Just in terms of what uh, Dr. Kim's saying, um, if you are looking over the top of your dog, yep. um, if the width of their loins, which is just after their rib cage, is the same as their rib cage, they are actually overweight. Overweight, yeah. The loins need to go in a little bit. And that's a, just a quick way to tell if they're overweight or underweight. If they're too far in, well, they're underweight. Yeah. We, w- um, we would call that the coffee table look. So if you look down on them and they're straight, they look like a plank, that's the coffee table look. They're too big. So we want to see, be looking down and see a bit of an hourglass from the, you know, yep. from the top down. And then also in terms, you said you were feeding about 500 grams of, of mints with the dry. Um, oh, no, it's about all half, half up. Like oh, half I half. feed him two and a, 250 grams of mints and veggie and then I've been making the rest up with dried food. Yeah, okay, I see, which is for 500 grand, mm. yeah. So if you feel he's a bit overweight, you can just cut that back, as, as Dr. Kim says, yeah. yeah, and just monitor and keep on looking and monitor the situation. And they can, during the winter, they can lose weight. When you cut back their food, they can lose weight relatively quickly because they're using up a lot of energy to keep warm. Mm. So just be mindful of that. Gee, we're all learning something today, aren't we? I uh, <laughs> hope that helps you out, Michael. Are these uh, dogs after my own heart? They love carrots. Yeah. And they just, garbage guts, they just eat until <laughs> totally they can't do. eat anymore. It's really common for us to see over- overweight golden retrievers because they eat their food so quickly, you think, oh my gosh, you must be starving. <laughs> um, and, and literally, my golden retriever, if she takes a breath in between eating her bowl of food, it, I mean, it's it's 10 seconds gone. You've yeah. been to my place, haven't you? <laughs> and I don't own a dog, by the way. I, I recently saw one of my Weimaraners that um, uh, an owner has, yeah. and uh, I, I said, oh, oh, he's quite a bit overweight. <laughs> oh, yeah, but he's always wanting to eat, so yeah. I feed him. Oh, yeah, he will always he will want always to eat. Want to. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how it's not supposed to work not that way. No. no. Yeah. And we're talking at the moment with Susan from Morissette. Good afternoon, Susan. You've got a puppy with an anxiety problem. I do have one, yes. Yes, any help would okay. be grateful. Sure, tell me a little bit about your pup. What kind of dog is it? How old? Well, she's about six months. Uh, she's a American bulldog or boz dog, bulldog. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's um, very highly strung. Um, we can't leave her alone. She becomes very destructive. She's greedy. Um, she, she's wanting to be fed all the time. And uh, I'm just wondering how I can... Get around it. If I'm out in the yard, I play with her all the time. Mm -hmm. The minute I come inside, she starts screaming and barking. I bring her in and I put her in a crate inside because she's too boisterous to put in the the, uh, house. Mm -hmm. So I put her in a large dog crate and she'll lay there. Next minute she's whinging. Mm -hmm. She wants out. Okay. So... So yeah. she's, she's pretty young yet. Is she getting a good amount of exercise? Are you taking her out for walks and getting her out of the yard and things like that as well? Well, I'm not getting her out of the yard because I'm in my 70s. Oh, right. Okay. And she's, she's quite strong. I play tug of war with her. I throw mm-hmm. um, frisbees. I throw different things to yep. her and I play. 
Uh, but I can't walk her. She's just okay. so strong. Right, okay. I think she'd pull me over. over. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Okay, so young dogs. Um, so first of all, let me tell you that one in six dogs has a clinical anxiety problem, and it's just something they can be born with, much like um, a number of humans you know, will develop uh, depression or anxiety disorders, things like that. We know that the statistic is about one in six dogs, and that can be influenced by whether or not they were socialized during their critical socialization period, you know, which is sort of 10 to 16 weeks of age. Um, but also it can just be an inherent problem or inherent issue with that particular dog. So the things mm. that we always sort of talk about um, is making sure that they are getting adequate amounts of exercise, um, making sure that she has some level of socialization because sometimes there may be things going on in the environment. You know, you know, she might be hearing other dogs barking or uh, know of other dogs in yards around you and that can be causing some, <clears throat> excuse me, some problems with her. Um, you may want to look at seeing if you can um, find somebody who can start taking her out and, and walking her and getting her more used to that. But it sort of depends whether or not she will tolerate that. Um, I would definitely have a chat with your regular veterinarian and see about um, you know whether they feel that she's a candidate to start some anti-anxiety medications because ultimately uh, in a young dog who's very anxious, having that issue will cause her to not learn as well as a... Um, a dog who's a bit more level-headed. So sometimes we actually put them onto anti-anxiety medications, the similar ones that we use in humans, and that actually can facilitate better learning. So you don't just drug a dog and not do anything with it behaviorally. We still need to do behavioral modification and training, but sometimes the fact that they're anxious actually inhibits their learning. Um, mm -hmm. But all those drugs are prescription. They need to be you know, uh, administered by a veterinarian and under the guidance of a veterinarian. Uh, in our local area, we do have some really good uh, veterinary behaviorists that you could certainly look at uh, engaging as well and some of them will come out to your house and have a bit of a look and see what the dog is um, you know how she's acting in her own environment uh, and it is hard she's a, she's a big strong dog um, and you know from a standpoint of destroying your house and um, potentially being dangerous you know around you if she's tripping you up or things like that it's definitely something you want to have a look at uh, getting getting sorted and getting under your belt so I think the first thing would be to go and have a chat with your veterinarian um, and sort of talk to them about what's going on uh, and then probably want to look at engaging if nothing else a trainer maybe a dog walker who can get her out and get her some more um, activity as well yes is it too late to um like i'm frightened to let her out uh, mm -hmm. or take her out because i think she could be a little bit aggressive you know she yeah. hasn't been socialized yeah and it's, uh, it's is it too late no, is it too late now it, it's not necessarily too late um, but again, that probably needs to be done carefully and you're probably mm. not the one to do it because like you said, she's no. strong and you don't know what her reactions are going to be. So I'm not sure if you have a family member, a, um, you know, a kid or a, um, a nephew, something, somebody who can go out with you and, um, you know, maybe help so that if she does have a, a reaction that's going to be challenging for you to deal with it, there's somebody there who's a bit sort of stronger. Mm. Um, but, you okay. know, I tried, try a controlled environment. So maybe getting her into some dog training up at Hillsborough or something like that so that there's other people around who can help and give you yes. some tips and, and people who can watch what she's doing. Another option yes. might be there, 
if it is possible and financially viable, although it's not that dear, to get even a once a week a dog walker, a, dog a professional walker. dog That's walker to I'm come wondering. and walk her for an hour just to get yes. that socialisation and training. Plus, there are special um, harnesses that you can buy that gives you more control mm. while you're walking the dog. And if, if the dog does lunge and be aggressive to other dogs, it gives the handler a lot of control to pull the dog back. Yeah. So there okay. are things available to, to help with, with that training and that behaviour. And at the moment, Linda from Katara, you've uh, got our attention at the moment. Hello. Hi, how are you? We're good, thanks, Linda. So the notes here say that you've got a pup who went to the beach yesterday feeling a little sorry for himself today. Is that true? Seems to be, yep. Yeah, what kind of dog is it? A rotty. A rotty, okay. And so at the beach, was your pup in the water or just running on the beach or...? Yeah, she did a fair bit of swimming and then she'd probably had a, a long walk anyway and mm -hmm. then she met up with the dog and I got talking to the lady that owned it <laughs> and they probably spent <laughs> about another 40 minutes running, running around yeah. and playing and she was jumping on rocks and things. But okay. this morning and yeah. even l last evening when she went to stand up, she just looked a bit stiff. Yeah. And because they have those predictable problems with yeah. their legs and she's only five and a half months old I thought is it normal yeah. or is it problematic yeah so I mean it's probably not normal but it does sound like she may have overexerted herself um, as a young dog and um, we've got to mm -hmm. remember that Rottweilers are considered a giant breed and they are still growing and so um, keeping their activity level moderated rather than extreme is is more recommended is she ah, sitting okay. is she sitting normally today or standing up from oh, yeah. sitting normally oh yeah and okay. she just someone just came to the door and she ran up and, and jumped on them so she's obviously not crippled yeah. or anything no, but no, yeah right. so I'm not I mean, sure if it was a trip to the vet or not yeah no not necessarily so I mean the thing you have to remember is they're just like us um, if you do the sort of weekend warrior syndrome where they've gone out and just really overdone it um, they yep. can be sore like we can particularly mm -hmm. dogs that do a lot of swimming in a single episode when they're not used to it mm. we can get um, limber tail or rudder tail where the, they use their tail to sort of help themselves steer and then they can actually get some soreness um, along the sides of the tail I've muscles I've had that with my last one the, in yeah. cold weather yep. and those ones yeah and you know, those ones you typically will see it as um, you know they're painful when they go to sit down those sorts of things so they're a bit of avoiding sitting down. Um, I, I think it's probably likely that she's just a bit muscle stiff and sore. And okay. as long as she's otherwise bright and eating and drinking and, and oh, yeah. moving yep. around normally, I'd probably yep. give her a day or two to sort of come okay. good. Um, but yep. it's Wednesday today. If you get to Friday and she's still feeling pretty sorry for herself, then it may not be a bad idea to get her checked out. Is that all? Bit. I did some hard work on the weekend. <laughs> I'm still suffering. So, they do say that the second day after is worse, right? So I wouldn't expect her to be back to normal by tomorrow. It's but all that lactic acid. Yeah, it in is, the and that's exactly what it is. So, um, yeah, but Excellent. certainly for those giant breed dogs, um, if possible, if we can keep their exercise moderated, particularly at her age, where she's actually going through quite a um, a rapid growth phase. Oh, she's um, growing fast, yeah. Yeah, so I would try to just keep her exercise a bit moderate. I think, I mean, she's a young dog, and she'll be destructive and and uh, naughty if she doesn't get exercise. Um, but probably just try to tone it back just a little bit, so it's not quite as lengthy. Well, she goes for an hour a day, usually Good. just on a nice long walk. But yeah. that was. It was very extreme yesterday. Yeah, it was, you know, right. yeah, it was extreme exercise. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that. I was going to make an appointment for the vets today because I just wasn't sure. Yeah. No. It sounds like she's okay. If you're still worried about her, um, she's off of her food or she's not moving around well, then I definitely seek some help. That is the way to go. Thank you for that, Linda. Uh, did everyone do training over the weekend or something? <laughs> uh, no, not me. No? no. I did some training last night. I've actually busted my finger. Oh, no. I'm, I've come to work injured today. See, look at that. Oh. I need I need to fix that this afternoon, don't I? <laughs> it's, is that why you're having trouble with all those? 
those buttons. I, who said I'm having trouble with the buttons? <laughs> this program is working perfectly. Yeah, Thank you, Jane. You, you won't be invited back. Okay. This is your last week with us. <laughs> Noel at Toronto, good afternoon. Now, you lost your eight-year-old spaniel to kidney disease a little while ago, didn't you? I did, Mark, yeah. Yeah, about three weeks ago, mate, and I'm still grieving very badly. Yeah, it's, it's pretty tough, isn't it? In a young dog, uh, a relatively young dog like that. Yeah, and Katrina, I've had cockers all our life, and mm. I've never ever heard of this disease, and I'm just blaming myself. Was there something I should... It, he was a really big drinker of water probably yeah. the last 12 months, but yep. um, that was all. And we just thought he just liked drinking water, you know, yeah. and then all of the, the last three weeks he started gagging of the morning only, yeah. and a little bit of vial would come up, and that's when we took him to the vent, and yeah. he just said, his kidneys are buggered, you know. Yeah. So listen, I mean, there's there's likely nothing you could have done. We do know ki- kidneys are a, um, an organ that's required for life. And um, animals are like people. They have two of them. They actually have a remarkable reserve. We actually don't tend to see clinical signs of kidney disease until um, they're basically functioning on 25%. And that's over both kidneys. So you can actually yeah. have one kidney that's completely gone and the dog will look completely normal. And as the other one starts to shut down, you start to see signs when they're literally on 25 percent um lots of different things can go wrong with kidneys there are certainly things that uh, can cause acute kidney damage that are toxicities and we hear a lot about this in cats cats are very susceptible to acute kidney damage um it can happen in dogs but certainly there are some some cases where we'll just see um either a genetic uh predisposition to kidney problems uh a dog may not be born with normal kidneys and you won't necessarily know it right away um we've had one in the last couple years that started showing signs of kidney problems when she was maybe oh, I'm trying to think back maybe seven months of age she didn't you know uh, we got another four yep. months out of her that was about it um, and that can just be you know to how the kidneys form due to how the kidneys form um, you know when she's in utero yeah. um, there can be immune mediated conditions that can cause things like what we call glomerulonephritis which is a big word but it basically means I get an immune reaction in the kidneys and uh, things start to the, the tubes that are through the kidneys can block up and, and not filter the blood very well um, sludgy blood is actually hard on kidneys and the things that kidneys kidneys meant to filter the blood out um, and take the toxins and things out of the blood so uh, yep. if they're not working then the toxins build up and they do more damage and that's probably what you've been seeing you know as she started to vomit and, and retch and gag yep. was that the toxins were building up too much in her blood for her to handle it so don't beat yourself would it have up been about anything it. I've said him? Um, uh, it would be unlikely because usually those patients are going to be acute kidney damage so um, oh, there, right. there has been an association feeding um, grapes and raisins sultanas we don't we don't yeah, feed no, those no, but um, no. again that's usually acute where it comes on suddenly and it sounds like your little dog if she'd been drinking here she'd been drinking water for a year that certainly yeah. is one of the hallmark signs and so that means that we've had a chronic kidney insult or a chronic kidney disease oh, right. so um, you know, I don't think you should beat yourself up about it. It's really unfortunate in a dog that age, uh, but probably nothing you could have done about it. And unfortunately, once the kidneys start to go, we can support them through it, but there's not really ever a cure for it. Okay, sorry to hear about that, uh, Noel. Guys, we've run out of time. Thank you, Dr. Kimberly Earl. No worries. And Daniel Carrington for coming you. in as Goodbye. well. We've, we've learned a lot today, haven't we? Yeah, we didn't get to chat about my topic, but I'm back next week, so I'll bore you next week. No, but that's the good thing. See, because you've saved <laughs> it up, you don't have to spend any time researching next no week. No prep time for next week. No, that's, that's a win for all of us. Thank you, guys. That's Pet Chat for this week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. 
You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.